Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. And um, I asked you all a question. What about uh, eating? It's amazing to me to, to watch. I, was, I, was, I remember this one guy was talking about the sin of smoking, how ungodly it was to smoke. And the guy was about 200 pounds overweight, you know. And I'm thinking, I said, okay, let's see, what's worse? Uh, you fill your lungs up with burning weeds and you die 15 years early, or you clog your arteries up with animal fat and you die 15 years early. What's worse? Same, same. You're dead anyways, right? Same. You kill yourself anyways. You know, the only problem I have with smoking today is that there are so many other chemicals. There are. Yeah, there are. And, and cause cancer and this kind of thing. The, yeah, sometimes they do. The, the point, I think the point that... that very low nicotine. Yeah. rest of it is, I forgot, it's like 40-some. There's all kinds of bad things in it. But the point is there's a lot of bad things when you eat lettuce that you buy in a store. You know, there's chemicals in that, too. You ever look at the list of chemicals on a hostess Twinkie? Good night, you know. Yeah. Um, so the idea goes back to control, though, what rules your life? The thing goes back to character. And I think what Paul is hitting at here is you're not addicted to things. Whether that is alcohol, in our day and age, whether it's it's tobacco, whether it's well, sex is covered under another one here, but but um, I think this has to do with things that you eat or to your body. Uh, 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 drugs is another one, and, and I think eating. I think if a man is, I think if you got a guy who waddles into the pulpit. You've got problems. You know, that guy sitting there talking about how you need to be self-controlled, not smoke and drink, and, well, you know, you need to lay off, you know, the, the, the Twinkies and the Coke and the pie and the fats and the triple helpings of fried chicken on Sunday morning, you know. I mean, now that doesn't mean the guy needs to be a bean pole, you know, or anything like that. We're not talking about that. But, you know, look, we all know when somebody's severely overweight, all right, and have a problem with eating, okay? Um, not violent. What does it mean to be not violent? Not explosive, right? If you got a guy who's going to pop off a cork and, you know, not pop you in the nose or something like that, he's disqualified as a pastor. Now, does it mean he can never lose his temper about something? No. How about Christ? Did Christ ever lose his temper to some extent? Yeah, but it was for the right thing. But when you read stories about how the pastor got into a brawl with the chairman of the deacon board or something like that, hey, look, <laughs> he's not to be violent. Here's, an, here's a good example. Um, violent there, think about, um, think about how he treats his family. You want a guy who slaps his wife around to be your pastor? That's one of the problems we have nowadays, right? And one of the things, I hate to say it in Christianity, you've got this, I hate to say it, but there is this current of male chauvinistic pigism 
where, you know, the man needs to rule his wife. You know, listen, folks. Listen. He is to, he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Does, does Christ go around slapping around the church? No. He doesn't go around slapping around the church, does he? You got a man who has violent tendencies towards his wife or his wife is abused or his children are abused. Does, now, does that mean he can't spank them? No, he spanks them, but they're not abused. You got a man who's abusive at home, who's violent, who has a violent temper. He's as qualified as an elder. Does he can, can he do other things in a church? Well, sure, but not an elder. He's not to be the elder. Pardon? Yeah, he could be a, yeah. Um, not greedy for money. What does that mean? Yeah. Why is that necessary? You can't serve two masters. All right. Um, and you can run the church in the... It's interesting. You go, yeah. you go back to, it's interesting, you go back to... Um, the passage in Exodus where Jethro shows up. Who's Jethro? Not Jethro no, Bodine. No, no, no. All right. Moses' yeah. Moses' father-in-law. Right? Remember when Moses' father-in-law shows up and Moses is just killing himself, knocking himself out, trying to judge Israel. And his father-in-law says, what you're doing is not bright. What's wrong with you? You need to go out and find some guys, 70 of them, and what was one of their qualifications? Judge fairly or something. And what else? Had character qualities. One of them was they were not to love money. Why? And if you got somebody in a position of power who loves money, what happens? You bribe them. You pay them off. You pay them off. You got a pastor who loves money that will distort his judgment. Because when Mr. Big Bucks comes into the church, what happens to Mr. Big Bucks? He is sought out. He is sought out. He is and he might be the most godless one on the planet. But he is the pastor doesn't deal with him as tough as he deals with Mr. Not a lot of money over here. You're not to be a lover of money. Does that mean the pastor's not to be paid and taken care of? Yeah. No, but his preoccupation is not financial because if you love money, your judgment is distorted. You shouldn't be distracted by too much, too little. No. And if he's... I was just going to say, if, if he's not disciplined with his money, I mean, you don't have Frugal to a fault. Mm -hmm. This is not talking about his frugality well, I, here. I know, but uh, if he's always running around needing money, what are you doing with your salary and your house allowance? That's different. That's that that comes under some other things oh, coming up. Okay. The idea here, being greedy for money, is someone who can be bribed. Someone who can be bribed. Someone who can be paid off. If you have somebody who loves money. Now that just that immediately disqualifies just about every TV preacher you see on TBN. Because that's all they say. That's all they're worried about is money. All right. 
So don't watch that stuff. That's local weed. You're supposed to stay away from that, remember? Stay away from the weeds. You know, that stuff will poison you. Okay? Stay away from that. Don't listen to those guys. Because they love money. They're, the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? Now, how about gambling? Bart knows all about that. He could spend a, some time talking about it. Why is gambling... Is there somebody asked me this last week? I, I like to gamble. Was there gambling in the is there gambling in the Bible? Yeah. Anything any is there any positive discussion of gambling in the Bible? No. It's always seen as negative, isn't it? All right. And and here's and, and I that's a good that was a good question he had. And I've been thinking about it, you know, to get a good answer for you. Number one, I'll give you two tapes by John MacArthur, who does an excellent job in this. But beyond that, what is the, what are the basic motivators for gambling? What's it based on? Now, is that is that a good thing or is that sin? Greed is sin. The point is, gambling is based on characteristics and motivators that are all sinful. It's not based on anything positive. It's based on sinning. It's based on a greed. It's based on a desire to have and not work. And if you go and hit the casino and strike out big, what, how many people paid for your money? You, you you hit you think about it. You hit you hit a million bucks in the lottery. How many people paid for that? Me and a few more. A million and a few more. No, how many? I say me and a few more. And how many people suffered for it? Yeah. Gambling is a voluntary tax on the poor. It is. My brother ran a gas station over here, corner of Bell Avenue, and. 57, and he said he had he the biggest days of the month were the third. Welfare checks came in, and every one of them trotted out of those projects and plopped down their twenty, thirty, forty dollars in, in lottery tickets. He made so much money; he was the number one lottery ticket salesman in Northeast Ohio. Because people would go in there and buy lottery tickets with their welfare money. What's it based on? Social Security, too. Social Security. Greed. I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll sit here and I'll tell you with all honesty and respect and, and truthfulness, I have never bought a lottery ticket in my life. And I never will. When I stand... When I stand, when I stand before the Lord, when I stand before the Lord, He will never be able to judge me because I bought a lottery. Now you are in deep trouble, but oh, that's yeah. So instead, instead of my tax, yeah, yeah, if they okay, if they change the lottery to say. Please contribute to the schools, and you were to walk in and pay your ten dollars just as a contribution to the school, and not get lottery tickets. Would you still do it? I'm not getting nothing back. 
I think she's nailed. I don't think she can squirm out of this one. I think we got her. Yeah. The whole point is, I think the whole point, for, for a man of God to take God, something about it, you're taking every dollar, every dime, every nickel you get comes from who? God. So you're going to take God's money and squander it? You're going to take God's money and throw it to the wind and hope that you'll hit the big time? And you're throwing it to the wind. You're throwing it to the wind. drinking or smoking, if you do it in moderation, it's no biggie. <laughs> I mean, the way I, I'll tell you the way I personally see it, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to change, especially after this last weekend. Um, is that I could go to the Browns game, probably drop a hundred bucks on a ticket, mm -hmm. and that you know, to me, it's kind of fun. And if I just take a few hundred bucks, you know, and I don't care if I win or lose, and usually I win, and I come back and get ten percent of the church. Some people. Will. The industry, the industry of gambling, is built on vice. The entire industry is built on vice. How can you? Maybe you can, but how can you, as a godly Christian in good conscience, contribute to an industry built on vice? Going to a football game is different. That's not built on vice. You know, and, and, and there's, you're right, there's entertainment. Some people just see it as entertainment. You know, well, you know, I'm going to take a weekend trip up to Casino Niagara or Casino Windsor or whatever and have some fun and play a few games. And, you know, I don't, I don't care if I win or not. I'm just going to go and have some fun. But that industry, the entire industry is built on greed. What about being on your greed. I mean, it's built on greed. Why don't, if, if you know, people, well, the church says, well, we need to raise money for the orphanage, we'll have a bingo. Well, why don't you just give the money? Why do you have to have a bingo part? If you really want to, right, you won't give because you don't get anything back, right? You won't walk into Shell gas station and say, I, I'm going to contribute $10 to the school fund. Not unless you got lottery tickets in return, right? That's why the Lord said he loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. Because a cheerful giver will give and not that's the point. Okay, you ruined my gambling. Well, no, there's a lot. There's a lot of other reasons. There's no. There's no. I can't go to the Bible and say, "Thou shalt not gamble." It doesn't say that. But I hadn't thought about you. But you look at the industry. You know, I love watching. I'm going to go home tonight and watch CSI Las Vegas. I love watching CSI. It's, you know, if I didn't have to work for a living, I love to be a criminal investigator. That's sort of fun. Sort of a neat thing. You know, but um, it's gross sometimes. But it's sort of interesting. But Las Vegas is built on one thing and one thing alone. That is a that is a completely worthless piece of. I've been there. There ain't nothing there. It is it is desert. It is nothing. I've been there. I I, I look over there. I look over there and I see bright lights and flash. I look over there and I see the backside of the moon and scorpions walking through the desert. There ain't nothing there, folks. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's I wouldn't. Well, I tell you, I'd never go to Vegas. But but the whole industry of Vegas is built on greed and pleasure and wickedness. you're right. The whole industry. Why you would ever go there is beyond me. And say, well, I'm just going to have some fun. Drop a few quarters in the slots and see what it's, folks. You you got to deal with it. You you're going to stand before God and you're giving an account of yourself before God. 
I don't want to stand before him and say, you know, I took his resources and I blew it in an industry that's geared that. What's the difference with that and you buying a lot of clothes? You get something for your clothes. Now, there's technically you could say you could you could indulge too much in clothes. If you have fifty pairs of shoes, there's a problem. Oh, more than two hundred. So what's the difference? There isn't much. Maybe you need to consider. Now we look not. I'm on my way to the doctor. We'll shop in the morning. Because with shopping, with shopping, there's a tangible thing that you're buying. With lottery, you're not buying anything tangible. You're buying a chance. There's no tangible benefit. They should say they should. They would. I'll tell you. You may. You may need to consider how many clothes do you need. A lot of them. Now my my thought of it, I need a lot of. That's something you have. To, I don't have anything in the Bible that says thou shalt not shop for clothes. I don't see anything in the Bible that says thou shalt own only ten changes of clothes. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. But that could become a god to you. That could become. An obsession that no, could become, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know. Bart's waving his hand. Me, 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 me. <laughs> okay, Bart has something to say. He's been trying to say it for a half hour. It's all right. It may not be that important. I just wanted to say a few things. Well, first of all, of course, you know, you're not relying on God whatsoever. You have no trust whatsoever. Of course, I had an on-again, off-again addiction from when I was a late teen, you know. I mean, it was in football more than anything else. And the first time I got married, I mean, I owed like thousands and thousands of dollars in gambling. I didn't tell my bride-to-be until two days before the wedding that I owed that money. That didn't go over too good, you know. But then off and on, the lottery thing, and I worked at a place where the machines were the lottery about 15 years ago, partner. And it gets into your blood. If you're addicted like that, it gets in. I mean, you just, I saw people come in there and take reach down in their pocket for coins to play every last lottery ticket, $30, $40 a day, you know. So, I mean, it can really get deep, that's for sure, and it's ruined. It has consequences like anything else, you know, if you really, I mean, I wasn't really as deep as a lot of people were, but it, it did enough harm. Look at the money I lost. Look at all the money that went down. It ruins people's lives, folks. Just like alcohol. One out of 12 people that begin to drink alcohol will be an alcoholic. And I can tell you that probably I would be one of those 12 if I started. So how do I prevent from becoming an alcoholic? I don't get to drink. And I'll tell you what, I, I have a tendency probably I could wind up being a compulsive gambler. So how do I prevent from doing that? Just don't gamble. Just don't start. Now you see, you see lottery as gambling? Yes. You're throwing it to the wind. I don't care where the money goes. You're throwing it to the wind. Yeah, they sell it by they're giving money to the schools. But what they do is instead of having the Ohio State budget provide the schools, they take they they spend that money on other junk. And they take all the money for the schools out of the lottery, and that's how they sell it to people. But you look at the people. I'm I'm. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to do this. Go look at the people who buy the lottery tickets. There are people coming in who are barely able to keep food on the table, plopping down 10, 20, 30 bucks a pop for lot they have no business buying lottery tickets. They're not the people that have jobs and work at Ford. They're the people that are on welfare. I'm telling you, my brother's biggest day 
was when those welfare checks hit, he had people lined up out the door buying lottery tickets. Compulsive gamblers. Folks, why do you want to be involved in an industry like that? Shouldn't. And all I'm saying here is when you look at this guy, the, the, the elder, he's not to be greedy for money because the greed of money is going to lead you in all kinds of nasty things. Gambling, it could be, lead you to be bribed. When Mr. Big Bucks comes in the church, you're going you're gonna to overlook his sins, his problems, because you don't want him to stop. You know, if he stops giving the money, you're out, you know, there goes the budget. Hey, you're, you're to be blind. You're to be blind to who gives money. Don't, don't be a lover of money. Um, he says here, gentle. What does it mean to be gentle? Some of the ideas is not holding a grudge. Yeah. Not allowing your, your anger to stew. You want your pastor to hold a grudge? Well, you know, I remember 13 years ago you did. Don't need that. Gentle, the idea there is being quick to forgive. You want someone who's quick to forgive. Yeah. See, yeah, I, I have to tell you this. I think Christians are one of the most unforgiving lots on the planet. We've been forgiven so much by God, and yet we don't forgive other people. We're unforgiving. We want When we screw up, make a mistake, we want people to cut us slack. We want people to, to give us a second chance. But I'll tell you what, if somebody messes up on our watch, we want their head on a platter. We don't want to forgive them. We want to remember that. Because somehow it makes us feel good that we didn't do that. The pastor needs to be one who is quick to forgive. And, and the idea there is, of course, there's the concept of the person repenting. Yeah. And it may be that that person's not immediately restored back to maybe a position or, or, or something like that, but it means that they're not, they don't want to hold a grudge. They don't want to keep track, keep record of wrongs. Bart? Yeah. You recall a few years ago when you my sexual addiction problem came to light, you know, and I went to Pastor Walls. And, you know, I mean, obviously, and you condemn what's been done, but he, but he forget, I mean, he was, he would encourage me. I mean, even later, he knew there was a problem. He didn't know where it was going to go before. But whenever he saw me, he would encourage me. He would, you know, I mean, he never made me seem like I was some kind of lowest thing on earth. And you know what? That was the whole thing, And you know what? Nobody, nobody, he didn't tell anybody about that. Right, exactly. The confidentiality. He didn't go preaching it, you know, to everybody and telling everybody. An elder needs to be quick to forgive. Yeah. Not quarrelsome. What does that mean? He, he's not to always be wanting to pick a fight. You know, that's, that's quarrelsome, you know. Somebody wants to just beat you down and browbeat oh, you and all the time just put you down, put you down, put you down. He's not qualified to be an elder. Wants to jump over you all the time and just run roughshod over people and get his way all the time? Now, if you're to be a servant of all, how can you have your way all the time and still be servant of all? It's sort of like mutually exclusive concepts, isn't it? You're not to be browbeating people. They're a flock. Remember what it said earlier in Thessalonians, you're to be gentle, you're to... Yeah. Now, there are times when you need to exhort, and there may be times 
when you got to look somebody in the eyeball and point your finger and say, you're in sin, you need to straighten up. Right. And if you don't, I'm going to get the elders and we're going to come after you. There may be a time, but you don't browbeat people to get your way. and That's not godly. One of the best examples is I heard of a church split one time, and they did research to figure out why the church split. You know what they found? It's traced back to one of the deacons got a bigger helper helping of ham than the other. And it was all trained. I'm, I'm not making it up. I don't know where I heard that, but I heard it was, a, they, they, they traced it back and there was a big fight because one elder, one deacon, he got a bigger hunk of ham than the other guy did at the potluck. And that caused the split. I mean, that makes me want to become violent. You know, that makes me want to become violent here. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, somebody was saying they did a study of church splits. And they found, you know, most churches don't split over theology. You know, it's not like, well, we split our church because that group wanted to deny the deity of Christ. Or that church, or that group, they, they denied, you know, the, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Or that church, they, or that group over there, you know, they... We split because they denied the resurrection of the dead. No, it was over because, well, they wanted green in the women's bathroom. They wanted blue, and we couldn't come to... So we split, and they got their green bathroom in their church. I heard about one church split, I don't know if it's true or not, where they became so angry that somebody went home and got a chainsaw and cut the church in two, carried their part of the church away. Well, that, that's a good testimony of the world, isn't it? A church split because the minister was always having classes. Classes went on Monday through Thursday. And uh, it doesn't take all that. And the church split. Not covetous. What does it mean to be not covetous? Yeah. If his, if his heart is set on the things of the world, is it set on the things of God? No man can serve two masters. You get one or you get the other. Does not mean that the pastor cannot have a nice car or a decent home or a decent salary, a reasonable salary. Doesn't mean that. It means that he's not given over to that as a driving factor in his life. It's like the man I read, I think it was... Frederick K.C. Price, who got a Rolls Royce from his congregation, and he made him take it back because he didn't like the color. Oh, I thought you were going to say the prostitution. It was the color. <laughs> Not Fred. Uh-uh. Or just because somebody has five, six you know, cars, then that doesn't mean... And, and, and part of it is, here's the thing. And look, this is an individual thing. Does a pastor need to have six cars? I don't think anybody needs six cars. I don't think so either. Excuse me. The whole point, the whole point here, the whole point here, you can look at your pastor and you can tell by his lifestyle if he's covetous or not, right? It doesn't mean that he lives like a pauper, but it doesn't mean he lives, he lives, you know, Austin, uh, you know, just indulging everything. It doesn't mean he can't have nice things. It doesn't mean that's not the driving factor of his life. All right? He's not covetous. One who rules well his own house. Yeah. Now, 
Who's to rule the house? The man. See, it goes back. I'm, I'm telling you, you got you to do some magic here to put a woman in as a pastor because these are all, this is from the male perspective. You are to rule well your own house. Having children in submission with all reverence. Well, I heard PK kids were the worst. Now, does that mean his kids are perfect? No. That mean the kids are perfect? No. No, because kids are kids, right? But if you have a pastor, an elder, and let's say uh, you find out his daughter got pregnant by the son of the deacon, and uh, his other son is into drugs, and his other kids are unruly, is he a qualified to be a pastor? No, he's disqualified. He's disqualified. What's it say there? If you do not know how to rule your own house, how are you going to take care of the church of God? If you, if you can't, if your family, if you can't manage your family, what makes you think you're going to manage a church full of people? And if you, if you, can't, if you can't show the congregation that you can discipline your own children, what gives you the right to tell them to discipline theirs? There's, there, you, they, you lose, you've lost your credibility. It's like a guy who's going to tell you how to manage your money and he's been bankrupt 25 times. Or someone comes in and tells you how to dress and he looks like a slob and a hobo. You don't go there. You, you, you go to somebody who, who has the character, who, who's exhibited the qualities that you want. You want a man who rules well his own house. Now, does that mean his kids always are obedient in everything? No. Well, no, but when they're disobedient, what happens? He corrects them. He disciplines them. There may be a PK that gets out of line. When he gets out of line, he is to be corrected. He or she is to be corrected and disciplined. But if you have a man whose, whose kids are given over to this, he's disqualified. I was talking um, to my mother-in-law who goes to a church where the pastor's Son is on his third wife. First one he got pregnant when she wasn't, they weren't even married. Married her, divorced her, married somebody else, divorced her, and now he's on number three. He's got a couple of granddaughters that look like prostitutes. And he's the pastor of the church. And I said, well, now what's wrong with this picture? He's disqualified. What, how hard is that? How hard is it to read 1 Timothy 3 and come to the conclusion he is not qualified to be the pastor? I don't care if he can speak. I don't care if he's good looking. I don't care if he, I don't care about it. He is disqualified as the pastor. He has failed at home. What makes you think he's going to succeed in the church? Now, here's a question. What happens if he's called to be a pastor after his children are grown and out of the home? If he's saved, let's say the guy's saved, he, he's saved in a, a later age. Is he disqualified necessarily? No. no. What's implied here in this text? And whose, yeah. and whose children are young and at home. He is to discipline them. He's to discipline them. Now, Tim, Titus adds one in here. It adds in that his children are to be believing children. He adds it. Now that's a toughie. And, and MacArthur talks about it. You can read his um, comments in 
um, here in Titus, he talks about that, and he, he even comes to the conclusion that if a man's children turn out to be infidels, he's not qualified as an elder. If his children are not, you say, well, wait a minute, what about, wait, 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 what about this whole Calvinism business here? What, what if they're not elect? Well, look, you know, if he's called to be the pastor and the Bible says he has to be believing children, will God give him non-elect kids? No. No. All right, so that solves that problem right there. Okay. If he can't, he can't, he can't be the spiritual head of the house. He can't. Look, I'm not making this up. You've got to read the text, and that's what the text says. If he does not know how to rule his own house, how in the world is he going to rule the house of God? Can't, have, can't be done. I don't want to hear anything. The pastor's family is to be a model for the congregation. We're not talking perfection. When, when sin arises in his family, when, when the kids are rebellious, when the kids are misbehaving, he disciplines them. He makes them behave. If they get out of line, he disciplines his children. He is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and she should respect her husband. And if, if that isn't happening, what, what make you want him to tell you how to how to how to have a strong marriage if his own marriage is falling apart? I don't think so. I was going to say all too many, many times that you said they could be a model. They're not models, and they could also be receptive. I heard there's a younger a guy about thirty in my support group. He grew up in Los Angeles, and his stepfather was a pastor. And he said one of the biggest problems was his stepfather was the one who wanted him to bring home the young woman. So and he was a pastor in church, and he grew up believing that you know because most of his years, you know, that that was okay. That that was act. I mean, this is how warped and how bad this stuff gets. And I'm sure there's a lot of men off the clock. That it, yeah, there's going to be a lot of judgment handed out in the last day that yeah, I'm glad I'm not part of. Yeah. So what what do you do if now this happened in my family? My uncle was a preacher. My mother's sister husband was a preacher. He had two sons. One they were good kids. And when they got in their late teens, the one was and still is an alcoholic and the other one is a perfect deacon in the church. What do you do? How could that be? I mean, they were just... Well, again, you know, this goes back to the tough... This goes back to a tough... Um, I know, but what happens? They both were raised the same. Yeah. And one was on that... Street. That That is one of those areas... Look, I don't have... You say, well, the teacher's supposed to have the answer to everything. Well, you know, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer to everything, all right? There are two schools of thought. There's one school that says... He's disqualified as an elder because he doesn't have believing children. There's another school that says, no, when his children were in his house, did he have them in order? Were they maintained? Were they in control? If Yes. If later on they as adults decide to go away, it's not his fault. They are responsible for their own choices. There are those two schools of thought. What I would probably do in that situation is I would then look at him. And I would, I would take all these other characteristics and say, if he is a model in all of these other areas, I, I personally would probably not hold that against him. No, I wouldn't hold it against him. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disqualify him as an elder because of that. 
I, I, I'm just telling you how I would do it. I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. If you got one, you know, let's say you have six kids, and five of them are golden and godly, and one of them just goes and goes off the deep end. Well, you know, you still got that depravity factor, you know, and they got to make up their own mind. Now, when he was raising them, what were they like? Perfect example. Yeah. Now, if after they go, you know, go out of the home and they're on their own and they make a bad decision, you know, you can't, I don't think, disqualify him because of that. That's my, that's my, now, I think John would probably take a somewhat different viewpoint of that. You'd have to, re, you know, you can read that in the, in the commentary. But. but there are some Bible scholars that say what it means here is the, the fact that he can rule well his own house implies that the children are in the home. The implication is that they're still in the home, which means they're not of age yet to be on their own. Okay? So that's, that's how some look at that. Then it says here, not a novice. What's a novice? New, new, new Christian. New Christian. New, new. What, what, uh, what uh, word does that go with up there? Uh, Elder. You want someone who's been a Christian for a while. Now, someone may just come to the Lord and may feel the calling of God on his life and may want to pursue being a pastor. Is that okay? Well, sure. But you don't make him a pastor. Why not? Because what happens to him? He gets... Puffed up is a fascinating word to follow. It means to fill up with smoke. It's like blowing up a balloon with a hot air. You know, there's nothing there, but it's being filled up with smoke. He falls in the condemnation of the devil. What was the devil's condemnation? Yeah, he. I mean, he was the worship leader of heaven. I mean, he was number uno, and it went to his head. And now we have this whole mess that we're in called a fallen universe. Paul is saying you don't make a man who is a new Christian or who is untested an elder because he's going to fall he's going to think that he's something when he is nothing. He's going to think he's arrived when he ain't and he is going to cause he's going to shipwreck. And I think we do I'm telling you right now I this is why you know I, I don't think you should take a guy straight out of Bible college or straight out of cemetery I mean seminary and make him a pastor, he's not ready. No, he's not. Now, he may, he may be put into spiritual leadership, he may be preaching and, and, and doing things, but, but before he becomes an elder, before he becomes a pastor, he needs to be proven. Yeah. And it's interesting, at John MacArthur's church, they have a lot of men who are pastors in the sense that they preach and they teach, and they do, but they're not elders. They're not yet elders, because to be an elder... You have to be proven over a period of time. And they're not, they're not disqualified from being an elder. They're not ready yet. Now that's, you know, that another thing is that, that sort of depends on what church you're in, right? If you're in an established church that's been there for 50 years, the qualification for an elder there is probably higher than a, a fairly new church where there's a lot of new Christians. So there's a relative term, you know, component there. But the point that Paul's making is don't take someone 
who's a brand new Christian, raise them up to leadership when they're not ready for it. Because they'll fall in the snare and condemnation of the devil. Don't do that. Let them be seasoned. Bart, you were going to say? Well, this wasn't a pastor's situation, but it was an illustration of when you're new in the faith and you're on fire. If you remember, this fellow who murdered his wife out of open door last year, because he was in our group in Men of Valor, and he was, in, he was just on fire. He was about my age, maybe a year older. And he just kept saying, boy, everything's great. God's on my, you know. Just one day, you know, he lost it completely, and he murders his wife, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, he was pretty much, pretty new, and his son had come to faith because of him, and, you know, that whole thing just went up in the air. Now he's leading the prison ministry? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The point, the point that Paul is making here. Now, let's see. Here, here verse seven. He must have a good testimony among those who are outside. Outside of what? Church. You know, how would you like to go down, you know, to the local store and say, you know, hey, I'd like you to come to open door. Well, I'd never go to open door. Your pastor owes me five thousand bucks, and he hasn't paid his bill. How'd you like that? No. You need to have a good testimony. What does it mean to have a good testimony towards those who are without? Out the non-believers in the community and even the believers. You need a good... You need someone that the community can't put any charge against. Right. There's components of that. Number one, you need to keep your word. If you make a promise, you need to keep it. You need to pay your bills. This is where I think the financial component comes in. If you've got a man who can't manage his finances and can't manage his money, what, what are you doing giving your offering to the church and hoping he'll manage that? You, you, can't, you can't do that. You, you, now, it doesn't, mean that, it doesn't mean that he doesn't owe money or anything. It means that he manages his money. He is not in debt up to his eyeballs. If you got a pastor who's in debt to his eyeballs, who's maxed out his credit cards, who's got to borrow money all the time, who is late paying his bills, he is not a good testimony to those that are without. He is disqualified from an elder. You guys are having too much fun over there. Oh, we're just okay. reminiscing. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. You're not qualified. You need to be a testimony. How can you tell people to... To, to be disciplined and to love God, and you can't pay your electric bill. Because you've not managed your money appropriately. You've not taken care of, you, you, you bite off more than you can chew. Look, you need to have a good testimony towards those that are without. Um, Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, we had, we had a situation some years ago in this church where we had someone who was affiliated with our church. Um, if I mentioned his name, you'd all know who he is. But his wife was indicted. And I remember asking very pointedly in one of our meetings, why is this guy still here? Well, you know, she's just indicted. There's, I said, what's it say here? He doesn't have a good testimony towards those without. His wife is indicted. He's on the front page of the 
Chronicle Telegram there with his wife who's indicted in the, it was the Carters. Wife was indicted. Now maybe she's, maybe she, maybe she is, um, here's a question. What would you do in that situation? She's part of his household. What'd you do? She'd be a pastor. Well, yes and no. He, w he was on staff, but he wasn't a pastor because he was not hired as a pastor. He was in charge of, the, of a ministry here, the CIO ministry, Community Impact Organization. Could you voluntarily step in? Step in, yeah. He should voluntarily step in. Yeah. Someone might suggest that to him. Now, now, he, now, maybe his wife is innocent, right? Right. But in the meantime, what should he do? He should step down. So as to not bring right. reproach, right. and I remember getting into fights with some—not fights, but I mean, I get in arguments with people in this very room here. I say, "Guys, what, what, what's wrong here?" Well, you know, he's not been—you know—it's not been proven. I said, "I don't care if it's proven or not. That's not the point at this juncture. It's a reproach." It's affecting the church. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It does affect the church. All right. And you need to deal with this. Well, we did, you know. But, but the whole point is, and it's nothing against them. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on them or anything like that. I'm just saying that's just an example where you've got to have a good testimony towards those that are without. Um, I like to introduce pastors. So, oh, you we, we, I read about your wife's you in, in the newspaper. Well, there goes the testimony of the church, you know, just flush. Yeah. You know, you can't look. These are high standards, aren't they? They need to be. They need to be high. Because being in spiritual leadership is a high calling. And God wants people who are qualified. If you're not, if you don't have a good testament toward, towards those without, you fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Here's the point. The devil is laying around trying to get you to blow your testimony so he can ruin your effectiveness. The devil's laying traps for your pastors, trying to get them to do something bad, to do something evil, to get their name on the front page for stealing from the church or for something else so that he can... Disqualify the ministry. What happened when? Uh, what happened when the whole Jim Baker thing hit? What happened to Christianity? <laughs> now you could argue that he wasn't even a Christian then. I think, from what I've read, he's truly changed and repented. Um, I would probably, you know, every indication seems that he was truly born again. I'm not. I'm not I, I don't know about Tammy, his wife, but evidently he. You know, but but what did what happened to the body of Christ? Well, I was guilty by association, and the devil was just laughing all the way. You know, we had all ministers on the microscope, and it was it was an awful time to be. It was, it was, because you keep saying, "Well, what, I wonder if our pastor has some." Some bimbo on the side, you know. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe he's got something going on that we don't know about. Oh yeah! Look at the Catholic priesthood. Oh, 
completely almost. I mean, the churches have really been destroyed. This is the thing that Satan is working overtime to disqualify men of God because then he can do the maximum damage mm -hmm. to, to the cause of Christ. You know what? You know, quite honestly, if, if I fall into sin, it's a bad thing. I affect a few people. The pastor of our church falls into sin. What happens? And the community? Because it's front page news? I mean, good night. Jim Baker was front page news for weeks. You know? Well, it's, it's the, it was not only the wastefulness of money, it was the, the whole immorality component there, too. Swagger, what about him? You know, look at that. Someone said he was doing a series on adultery when that all hit. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, I'll tell you this. A few years ago, I worked with someone who, who taught Moody classes here at Open Door. Teaching through the book of Isaiah, but he didn't tell anybody that he had a girlfriend on the side and was leaving his wife. Until after the class was over. I've wondered, how, how in the world can you stand up and teach through the book of Isaiah on the holiness of God and go home to your girlfriend living in immorality and look at yourself in the mirror and think it's okay? Something wrong with that. It damages the cause of Christ. Paul is saying the man of God is an example. He is a model. He is a representative of Christ. And when you mess up, you make Christ look bad. Yeah. If you're the ambassador in a foreign country, you are to make your country look good. You have an image to uphold because it's not your image, it's your country's. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the pastor is an ambassador. And when he acts in, in, in sin or he, is, he, he violates these character qualities, he is disqualified from elder. Doesn't mean he can't serve in the church. Doesn't mean he can't work in the church. It means he's disqualified from being the elder. Now, which one of these is not a character trait? One of these is not a character trait. Which one has to do with an ability? No. Apt to teach. Apt to teach. Everything else has to do with character. Folks, when you look at your pastor, you're looking for character. God does not look, God could care less what your credentials are. He has no, he has no interest in how many schools you've gone to, whether you've been to, you know, got a degree or not. That's irrelevant to him. He's looking at your heart. When God wants a spiritual leader, he's looking at a person's heart. When God wanted King David, he wasn't looking at the best, <clears throat> tallest, good-looking guy. He was looking at someone who had a heart. Now, what happened with Saul? Saul was the good-looking guy, wasn't he? And he was an abysmal failure. And God took a shepherd boy and made him the greatest king in the Old Testament. It's character, folks. It's all about character. So when you look for an elder, character rises to the top. 
that will disqualify him. Now, if his character matches and he's got godly character, then you start looking at, can he preach well? Maybe it's helpful if he has a degree or not. But that should not be the driving force and motivation of hiring a pastor. It's his character. I have a question. When you find out that an elder is doing something wrong, can, can it, can it well, I know it damages but doesn't it damage you spiritually? You know, I, I, I'm finding out so many of these ministers these days. That's having these extra sins and the things that they're doing, you know, in this life. I mean, it's weighing on me. Mm -hmm. It's really weighing on me. And actually, I'm really about tired of it. Mm -hmm. but, well, you ought to be. But what can you do? Well, you know, the, the whole point is God's not called you to be his policeman right. and straighten up every church on the planet. Right. But if it's in your church, you're obligated to do something about it. We're going to find out how to do that in chapter 5. Where it talks about how you to receive an accusation against elders, one or two witnesses. And if he's found guilty, he is to be rebuked before all that everybody may fear. And if your church is unwilling to do that, you punt that church, you go somewhere where they will do it. You may need to leave the church. If you have a man, what, you know, what do you do if you have a church where the, the man is obviously disqualified? You were saying, what about this one guy that had two or three women on the side now? What do you do if you're in that church? What would I do? Well, I would try to confront the pastor. And if he got mad and wouldn't listen to me, I'd get two or three others. I'd go, we'd try to confront him. If he wouldn't listen to us and, it was un and the church was unwilling to deal with it, I'd leave the church. And I would, I would encourage anybody there, I'd say, I say, this man is as qualified as our pastor. I cannot in good conscience worship here anymore. I am leaving. And I encourage all of you to do the same. And I would leave, and that, I'd leave it at that. I wouldn't try to come back and cause trouble. I wouldn't keep stirring the pot. But I'd certainly let them know why I was leaving. And I would encourage everyone who was there to do the same thing. And then I'd leave it. And then they, they have to deal with it. But I'm not going to sit there and have a disqualified man preach. You got to deal with it, and and if you try to deal with it in a biblical way and you don't get anywhere, leave, go somewhere else. Sometimes churches don't want to deal with pastoring, and you do the best you can. If the church, you know, if they don't want to deal with it, then you leave them. You disassociate from them. Say, I cannot, in good conscience, come here. Because what are you doing when you come to a church? You're worshiping, you're submitting to the spiritual authority and leader, leadership of that elder. And if he is disqualified, you can't in good conscience submit to his leadership. You can't in good conscience support the work. So what are you doing there? Get out, go somewhere else. Now again, let's understand what we're talking about here. It doesn't mean that you have a personality conflict with the pastor. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, well, he made a decision I don't like. I don't like the color of hymn books he chose. Look, get a life, grow up. You know, learn to eat something other than the, the milk you have. You know, don't, don't worry about that kind of... We're talking about moral character issues here. That's what we're talking about. Or doctrinal issues where, you know, our pastor, you know, he stood up and said he doesn't believe in the deity of Christ anymore. Whoa, time out. Problems, you know. We're not talking... We're talking about those things. We're not talking about preferential things. But you need to deal with it. You're not doing him a... F this is the body of Christ. And uh, you got to deal with it.
People don't like doing that. They'd rather talk about it than deal with it. Look what it says in verse 8. Likewise the deacons. Likewise what? What's likewise mean? Same, Same way. The deacons. Well, the question is, who's the deacons? The men. No. But you can be a woman deacon. No. They call them men. Deacons are from a Greek word diakonia. Okay. Anybody ever take romance languages and you, you learn the gender stuff? What do you got? You got male and female and what else? Neuter. This is a neuter word. It's genderless. Because a servant is a servant is a servant. You don't care whether it's a male, female, whatever. Servants are servants. Likewise, the servants. Likewise, the servants. And I, th and, and I think John MacArthur, I won't regurgitate it, but John MacArthur does an excellent job in the commentary of discussing that this is probably a genderless word and refers to those who serve in the church. You've got elders, what do they do? They teach, they lead, they feed the flock. What do you got? You've got servants in the church that do all kinds of other things. Sweep the floors, keep the lights on, clean the church. You know, whatever it is, you've got servants. What must they be? Reverent. What does it mean to be reverent? Respectful. Not double-tongued. What's double-tongued? Ah, uh, yeah. Saying one thing and meaning another. All right. Um, not given to much wine. Well, same qualification, right? They're not to be drunks either. Not greedy for money. What's that? Well, same way as the other. Not to be given over to money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. What does it mean to hold mystery of the faith? What's the elder do? What's they, what, are they able, what are they supposed to do? They're to teach the mystery. These are to hold. Now, can a deacon teach? Well, yeah, but, the, but, but the, the general qualifications for deacons is not one who is necessarily the teacher leader. He is the one who knows the word, understands the word, believes the word. Listen, you know, usually what you have in a church is you have the pastor who's you know, Mr. Know-it-all, godly man. And then if you want to be a, you know, if you're, if you're breathing and can walk, you can become a deacon, whether you know anything or not. What's this saying about the deacons? What are they to be like? They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be, be character-wise, in the same league as the elders. Every one of us, let me put it this way, and this is what I believe. All of us in this room, male, female in this room, should aspire to have the character qualities of the deacon elders. I do not, from the text, believe the women are to be elders, but you're to have the character qualifications. You're not to be greedy for, you don't say, well, you're a woman, you can be greedy for money, it doesn't matter. No. The servant, you're, you're certainly a servant in the church. You're not to be greedy for money. You're not to be double-tongued. You're not to be two-faced. You're to be the, you have the same kind of character qualities as, as the elders. 
you may not be as 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 um, spiritually mature as the elders, but you shouldn't should be in that direction. You wouldn't want to trust being greedy for money. No. And you wouldn't want a Sunday school teacher greedy for money, or you wouldn't want a Sunday school superintendent, or or anyone. The janitor should have these qualifications. They're a servant. And it's interesting, remember you go back to Acts where the deaconess is, deacon is first mentioned. Some say, well, that's not where the deacon office came from, but, but there is a pattern there. Remember the, 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 the women complained that they were being left out of the daily ministration, so they, they griped about it, and uh, probably rightfully so. And what, did the, what was the, the way they dealt with that? Everybody contributed. No. What did the elders do? It is not right for us to do what? To leave the ministry of what? The word and prayer and teaching. That doesn't mean that we're too good to do that. That's not the point. Don't get that. The point was they're saying it is we have been called by God to do this. We can't do this and that. So let's find what? Five, let's find seven breathing bodies. No. What kind of guys did they look for? You bet. They looked for men who had proven character, full of the Spirit. Uh, yeah. That's who they chose. That's what the deacons are to be. And let them first be what? Tested. How, they, how do you test them? You watch them. And they knew this because they were in the congregation. They're in the congregation. You watch them. Someone comes to the Lord. Someone comes to the Lord. And you watch them over a period of a few years or, or months or whatever. And, and maybe you give them some responsibility and they fulfill that well. And you give them more responsibility and fulfill it. They're tested. You don't just say, you're breathing. We need you. Slot them in. Make sure that they're tested first. I thought you were talking about this group, I know, because they were in that early church and they knew they knew who was. Then, then, and so, then let them serve as deacons being found what? Blameless. Where'd that, where'd that word show up before? Elders. You want the deacons of your church to be men and women of godly character. If you've got a woman deacon who's known as Ms. Gossip, if you you wanna you wanna you want the story to spread, you just tell her. She's disqualified. You got a man who's a deacon who's greedy for money, he's disqualified. He's not to be a deacon. Yeah. Uh, men isn't in there. It's not. I, I, it's, not imp it's not in the original text. It may be, I think what somebody's done is they've implied that, but it's not in the original text. Yeah, now let's talk, I'm going to talk about 11 now. Likewise, their wives. And see, see, here the deacon 
the deacons, their wives are to be, and that gives some qualifications here. All right? Does that make sense? Yeah. I failed in hermeneutics 101. Yeah. You've got an excuse. They don't. Look at that. You've got the qualifications for elders. You've got the qualifications for deacons. What's going on? Then you got the qualifications for the deacons' wives. What are you missing? Where's she at? She can be a bimbo and it doesn't matter? No. That's not what this... And I think MacArthur's got it correct that this section of Scripture is referring to the deaconess. You got the you got the men deacons and the women deacons. It's not the deacons' wives. That doesn't make it. It doesn't make it makes absolutely zero sense that he would give qualifications for deacons' wives and omit the wives of the elders. It makes no sense. All right. And really, what here and here's the other here's another way that you mean that there is no Greek term for wife. It says likewise the women. Okay? It's not wives, it's women. In some churches, if a man is a deacon, his wife is a deacon. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I just think it's best to understand it. And again, MacArthur does a real good job in the commentary of making the case that this is deaconess. All right? And I don't think. You know, that's like saying, well, the pastor's wife has to be a pastor. Well, no, it doesn't say that. You know, women deacons. Women serve. Likewise, the women must be reverent, the same as the deacon, right? Not slanderers. Why does he throw that one in? What is the number one sin for women? Gossip and slander. Now, that doesn't mean that the men can gossip and slander and the women don't have to. Paul is giving some representative things here. He's hitting the high points. Yeah. All right. The high points is the women must be reverent, not slanders. They're to be temperate and faithful in all things. All right. And he says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well as well. Now, which deacon is this, male or female? The male deacons. They're to rule well their own house. They're to have the same... The, the qualifications are identical, essentially, between the, two, the three groups. The three groups of people. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's a good thing to be a deacon. It's a good thing to be an elder. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I would really encourage you to, to read carefully through the commentaries on, on this section here. MacArthur does, a, I think, an excellent job, okay, coming down through here, talking about the character qualifications. And, you know, admittedly, there are several ways to interpret verse 11. Some have interpreted verse 11 as to referring to the wives of both the deacons and the elders. Likewise, the women. 
You talk about the men, you know, you talk about male elders, male deacons, and then the women implied the women of them are to be this way. Others, I think, make room for deaconess, and I think there's a validity to that. Phoebe, who's Phoebe? Right. She was a deacon. And it says in, in Romans 16:1, she was a servant of the church. That's what a deacon is. Uh, the diaconia comes from the word to raise the dust, someone who is busy doing something. Phoebe was a deacon. Who's Yodia and Seneca? Remember those two? Yodia and Seneca. I beseech Yodia and I beseech Seneca to be of the Philippi. Now, why did he pick them out? Well, they were a couple of women that were fighting. And what did Paul call them? What did Paul call them? Fellow laborers. Philippians. And Philippians. I beseech Yodia, I beseech Seneca to be of the same mind of the Lord. They were fighting so bad. How would you like to argue so bad that your name gets written down in the Bible? They were disrupting everything. You know? Yeah. And Paul encourages them to get along because he calls them fellow laborers. You know? And, and I'll tell you what, you know, you know that this, this misogamist idea that women are not to do anything in the church is not New Testament theology. There are certain things that women are not to do. The elder is, is reserved for men. But women had a prominent role. Um, Phoebe, what did Phoebe do? What, what did she do? What did Phoebe do? Remember? She took Romans. The greatest book probably in the New Testament was given to her to take to the church at Rome. How do you think of that? That's a pretty big job. Okay. What about Lydia? What about Timothy's mom and grandma? What about the women in Herod's household? They maintained the church. They gave to the church. Some people say the ministry of Christ was supported by women who took care of them. What about uh, uh, Priscilla? What'd she do? Who'd she teach? Now, you know, on a scale of, of intellect, where was Apollos? Towards the bottom or top? Bottom. No, he was towards the top. He was one of the greatest, he was one of the greatest apologists of the early church. And you know who taught him? Priscilla and Aquila. A woman taught him. Of all things, a woman taught him something. See, th there's great freedom. You know, when women say, well, we're not allowed to do anything. Look, there, there, are, there are so much stuff for you all to do. You don't need to be the pastor because there's enough other stuff to do that you need to be doing. And in fact, what is we're going to get to Titus. It says one of the roles of the older women, they're to teach the younger women. And I, I seriously, I really believe this. I think one of the greatest deficiencies in the church today is a complete lack of older women teaching younger women. Period. I'm sorry. It, it's, go, back, go back 150 years. How do women survive? 150 years ago. You helped one another, right? You didn't have daycare. So who, who watched your kids? The neighbor next door, right? When you got sick, who took care of your house? 
neighbor. the neighbor next door, you know. And when their kid came over and misbehaved in your house and you spanked them, what did their mom do? They spanked them also when they got home, right? They didn't sue you like they do today, all right? People got along. They lived together. There was community. And how did the younger women learn to raise their kids? There was a community of older women that did it. Their mom was there. Their grandma was there. Their friends were there. Their aunts were there. They helped them raise them. What do you have now? You have women that come to this church. They, have no, they have, don't have a single older woman in their life. No influence. They have no idea... You know, and, and they're barraged. The average woman today is barraged. What is their, what's their husband seen as in the average? A buffoon, right? An idiot. Look, a Homer Simpson. You know, give him a donut and a, and a bottle of beer and put him in front of a TV. He's worthless. He's a deadbeat. You know, that's how she sees her, that's how men are treated. And what is the older woman to do? They're to show the younger woman how to love their husbands, to love their children, to be chaste and keepers at home, that the word of God be not blasphemed. What does it mean to blaspheme the word of God? You know, the, the whole idea here, the Christian family, the family, is to be a model to the world. They're to be able to look at your home and see a godly family functioning. And if they see a godly family functioning, if they see a husband and a wife who love each other and committed to one another, and they see children that are disciplined and nurtured and cared for, what does that do to the message of Christ that you preach? It adorns. That's what it says in Titus. It adorns. In other words, it adds glitter to it. It makes it acceptable. But if you look at a Christian home and you've got unending chaos... What does that do to the cause of Christ? I don't want to be a part of that. You don't want to be a part of that. And I'll, you know, my political statement of the day is wherever you land politically, look at the potential first ladies. Which one? Which one models virtues that we would adhere to? a no-brainer, right? Well, 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 I'm, I'm just, you know, and again, I'm not trying to make you, you know, I'm just saying, look at that. What does that do? What is, you know, we're thinking of the President of the United States, but think of the, think of the pastor's wife. She's a sharp-tongued old biddy. What's that going to do to the, to the, to the church, you know? It's going, to, it's going to affect the testimony of the church. All right? Yeah. I still know churches that have. All I'm saying is, I am reading this text. I'm trying to interpret it as best I can. And I say that I do not think this text allows for that. They have to deal with it. Now, here's a question, and, and I have had this. Could I attend a church where, the women, where there were women elders? I personally would have a hard time doing that. 
I'd, I'd have a hard time doing that. Because, because I think, here, here's the question I would have in, in that case. If you do backflips and handsprings around this text to allow for a woman elder, what else are you doing backflips and handsprings around? I'm, I'm just saying I'm, my, that, my personal conviction. All right. Now, can God still bless a church with that? Yeah, he can. I'm just saying, look, folks, i got to deal with the text as given. And you got to deal with the text as given. You know? I, I know, like, for example, uh, Willow Creek Church up in um, Chicago has women elders. I could never be a member of his church. I could not do that. All right. Well, I can think of most of my one of the greatest influences on my life is a woman pastor. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that God honors His word regardless of the vessel. I'm just. I I I I. There may be some. There may be some women that are godlier than the men are. I'm just saying when I'm looking at this text, I can only take the text for what it says. This is the model that God has given us. I, I'm, I don't know what else to do. You know, how else to interpret it. I'm stuck with this. You know, and... Um, you know, when I, when I look, it says the, the, the bishop, elder, pastor is to be the husband of one wife. It doesn't say the spouse of one spouse. It says the husband, and there is a word for husband. He's to be a one-woman man. It doesn't say he's to be a one... It doesn't say devoted to their spouse. It's, it's all gender-specific. I don't know how to get around that. Um, yeah. Having you know, understood this passage in that way, uh, you know some of the churches that no, it's not my responsibility to police another church. No. You know, I've not been called. If I did that, I wouldn't be doing nothing but going from one church to another trying to straighten everything out. That's not my point. If I'm at, if in this class, if I'm dealing with this text, I got to deal with this text. All right, I can't, I can't jump over chapter. You're not, you're not going to want to take this course if I skip chapters. No. All right. Um, I got to deal with the text, but I'm not going to go out and try to make other churches change. They got to deal with it. No, I don't think it's an essential. It's not going to keep you out of heaven, is it? No, so it's not an essential. Well, we're out of time. Let's uh, close in prayer and we'll pick up next week. Father, thanks for this time and for the discussion we've had. I pray that you would help us to think about these things ponder them. We just thank you for your grace to us in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.